Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. You should be able, without any trouble, to find the book I'm preaching from today, since it's the first one in the Bible. We are going to journey through the Word of God together. Today, I'm going to go verse by verse from Genesis to Malachi. (laughs) I hope you brought a lunch (laughs) and a dinner and a breakfast. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, last week we looked at the reliability of the Bible, but what we're going to do is read the Bible through together. Starting today, you should have gotten a sheet. If you didn't, you can get one after after church. And it has a reading plan on the back of it. Now, if you will stay up with that, you'll get it done. But if you wait till Friday and think, oh yeah, I gotta read Genesis, (laughs) chances are you're not gonna finish. It, you can break, what I would like to do each week is to sort of just give you an overview just for a couple of minutes and then I'm going to pick a passage out of that and I hope to pick passages that show you Jesus in all the Old Testament and because he's there all over the place and today is no exception. Genesis basically, obviously it means beginnings but the first 11 chapters, Genesis 1 through 11, show the history of mankind, how we got on this earth, how the earth was formed. And yeah, I believe in creation and yeah, I believe in literal 24-hour day creation. God can do that. And it really, it really takes more faith to believe it came some other way than it does to believe that God's spoken into existence. And so the first 11 chapters deal with the history of mankind and then because of the corruption of man, God rebooted the place with the flood. And beginning in chapter 12, you find the history of Israel in particular, but the beginning of redemption. Because man sinned and separated himself from God, and God then begins to develop his people in order that Jesus might eventually come. And so beginning in, in the first 11 chapters, you find Adam, Adam and Eve, and then Noah are the chief characters. When you get to chapters 12 through 50, you're going to find Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Those are, your, are the main people. There's a lot of other people in there, but those are the main ones. And you're going to find it very interesting. You're going to find it eye-opening at times. You're going to find, Lord, how in the world did you take all this chaos and still hold a line for Jesus to come and and you're going to find it interesting. It begins in the Garden of Eden and ends in a graveyard. So I hate to ruin it for you at the end of Genesis. But they laid Joseph in a casket in Egypt. So you start reading today, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. A passage that all of you know, you know, you're familiar with it. So this is not going to be a surprise to you. But here's the beginning. Here's the ruin of sin. And then here is the revelation or the beginning of salvation. 
Verse one says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God didn't really say they couldn't touch it. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we ask that today you open the eyes of people to understand sin and the ruin that it has caused and continues to do. We pray that people would come to you because, Lord, we know that you are the only way to salvation. So speak to us now from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was a certain professor in a law school who used to begin the first class of every semester the same way. He would put the number four on the blackboard and then a little bit further over, he would put the number two. And then he would say and ask the class, what is the solution? Well, someone immediately said six. Four plus two equals six. Someone else said two. Professor shook his head, said no. Somebody said, well, how about eight? Four times two is eight. Professor shook his head and he said, the reason you cannot find the solution is because you've all failed to ask a key question. What is the problem? You cannot have a solution if you don't know what the problem is. And we are living in a world that is frantically trying to find a solution when it hasn't identified the problem. You see, the world's in a mess morally. 
teenage pregnancy, abortions, alcoholism, drug use, crime. It's at an all-time high. The world is in a mess politically. Riots, revolts, revolutions are taking place practically around the world. The world is in a mess economically. The world is in a mess spiritually. Two out of three people on this earth either have no religion at all or they're following a false religion. And we're never going to find the solution to the world's problems until we understand what the problem really is. That's what Genesis is all about. Now, it's not going to be long. You're going to be digging in your attic or your closets and digging out Christmas decorations. You might as well go ahead and put them up. (laughs) Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because God came down here. Now, why did God come down here from heaven? Well, that's the problem. And that's what Genesis is all about. Why did God have to some, why did he have to send his son? Why did Jesus come? Well, you can sum it up in two words. There was a problem and God sent a promise. So with that in mind, let's look at the problem and the progression of man's sin. The first part of this chapter really answers two questions. What and how? What is the problem and how did it happen? What's wrong with this world? And how did the world get in the mess that it's in today? Why is mankind seem to be regressing instead of progressing? Am I the only one that feels that we're losing ground? We're not getting better, are we? We're not getting, we're not drawing closer. We're not becoming more humane. We're not becoming more loving. We're not becoming more accepting. We're not becoming more social. We are regressing. Why? What's the problem? Genesis tells us. It's called sin. You see, we get to see something go, and you can can see this progression even today in people's lives. First of all, it begins with a dialogue. It begins with a conversation. We're privy to a dialogue that Eve had with the serpent, which is Satan or the devil. Now, we know that she's immediately in trouble when she begins to have a dialogue with the devil. You see, teenagers who are pregnant today had a dialogue with the devil. There are people who are hooked on drugs because they had a dialogue with the devil. There are people who are in affairs today because they've had a dialogue with Satan. And when you have a dialogue with him and you begin to negotiate with him, you're going to lose. I got amused at a lady who came home and she sheepishly told her husband, he said, where have you been? She said, I've been shopping. And she kind of bowed her head a little bit and said, I bought a $500 dress. He said, what? She said, I'm sorry, the devil made me do it. He said, why didn't you say get thee behind me, Satan? And she said, I did. And he said, it looked just as good from the back there too. I love children and the way they're so literal-minded. Miss Irvin Handel of Billings, Montana said, after reading the story of Adam and Eve to our young son and daughter, five and four, I asked the story, what the story of Adam and Eve told them. My son immediately said, don't play with snakes. 
Well, you don't want to play with snakes, especially the serpent, Satan. That's what happens when you begin to discuss things with Satan, when you quit listening to God and you start talking to Satan, whether you're having an open dialogue or not, or you start negotiating with him. There's three words you need to remember. I didn't put this down for you. The first one is that word, remember. 1 Peter 5 eight says, remember your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The second word is repeat. You need to repeat the word of God back to him. That's what Jesus did when he was being tempted in the wilderness. He repeated the word of God. He kept saying, it is written. And then the third word is resist. James tells us, James 4, 7, resist the devil, he will flee from you. So we see Adam and Eve beginning to have this conversation. And that dialogue then leads to distortion. Because Satan actually distorts what God says. He says, is it really true you can't eat of every tree in the garden? And Eve said, no, we can eat of all of the trees. It's just one you can't eat of or touch it. See, she's already distorted it because God didn't say you couldn't touch it. Not that you should. That would be kind of dumb to go touch the fruit you can't eat. But he didn't really say that in chapter 2. He just said, don't eat of the tree. You know, see, the devil's really subtle because he will attribute things to God that God didn't say or do. There are a lot of people who, who think that the, it says in the Bible, money is the root of all evil. Does the Bible say that? No, it doesn't. Does the Bible say, spare the rod and spoil the child? No. Now, the principles are there. If, if Johnny gets out of line, you need to blister his bottom. Not blister him. Why do I even have to worry about it? You know, people today, they get so offended so easy. Blister his bottom if he gets out of line. The second thing is... <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, oh. Is, is God helps those who helps themselves in the Bible? <laughs> no. But see, the world attributes a lot of things to God that he didn't say or do. God doesn't send a bunch of stuff to kill people because of storm. The reason we have storms is because of sin in a cursed world that we have. And so don't blame God. God is in the salvage business. He is the one that's trying to save us. But, but Satan will always distort the word of God, which then leads to doubt because the first question you find in the Bible is right here. Did God indeed say that? It's the first question recorded in the scripture. And, and he begins to cast doubt. The first step to death and destruction is to doubt God's word. I actually went to a college, two of them actually, where there were professional scholars who thought it was their job to cast doubt on the word of God. I like what John R. Rice said, never put a question mark where God has put a period. If God said it, that settles it whether you believe it or not. It's God's word and Satan used that question mark as a broom to literally sweep Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. Let's look at the progression from doubt. 
We go to denial. Verse four, you're not gonna die. God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you're going to be like him. Today, we live in a world where people are saying it doesn't matter what God says. It, it doesn't matter what God says about marriage. It doesn't matter what God says about keeping the family together. It, it doesn't matter what God says about premarital sex. It, it, it doesn't really matter what God says about alcohol or anything else or drugs or any of that. It doesn't matter. Don't, don't, you don't have to listen to that. But denial leads to the, down the road to ruin. He denied the wisdom of God. The serpent said, you're not going to die because God just knows that in the day that you eat of it, you'll be like God knowing good and evil. And this was the beginning of that we know better than God movement. Oh, we live in it. When it comes to premarital sex, God says, you abstain until you're married. The world says, you just protect yourself. When it comes to alcohol, God says it's better to abstain, but the world says, oh, it's okay, just moderation. When it comes to marriage, God says it's between a man and a woman. The world says you can, you can marry a fence post if you want to. But Satan also denied the wrath of God. He said, you're not gonna die. You're not going to die. In effect, he was saying to Eve, God is too good to punish sin. And we have the same people today saying, oh, if God is such a loving God, he won't send anybody to hell. God's not gonna send you to hell. You're already on the road to hell. He's trying to save you from going there. Because see, the moment you sin, you separated yourself from God and the wages of sin is death. Separation is the word, thanatos. And you've separated yourself from God and without God and without a savior, you're already on the road to hell. So God doesn't have to send you there. You're sending yourself there by your sin. But we deny all of that stuff, which then denial leads to deception. He said, for God knows that in the day that you, oh, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God. In other words, the devil is saying, Eve, make your own decisions. You ought to demand your own rights, determine your own destiny. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you'll become your own God. You don't need God. You can do what you want. You can go the direction you want to go. You can be what you want to be. You don't have to worry about God. Deception leads to desire. Now I want you to notice something in verse six. Here's Satan's arsenal. This is the only one he has. His, his weapons are always the same, three of them. So when a woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes and a desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. She took it hook, line, and sinker. For those of you who don't know what that means, that's a fishing term. <laughs> Satan appealed to her physical desire, the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food. He appealed to her emotional desire. It was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. 
And then he appealed to her intellectual desire, her pride. She saw it was a tree desirable to make one wise. So her flesh, her soul, and her mind all wanted the forbidden fruit. That's the same arsenal listed in 1 John 2, 16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He used those same three weapons against Jesus in the garden, and not in the garden, in the wilderness, the lust of the flesh. Satan, you, I mean, Jesus, you gotta be hungry. Make some hot rolls. Once you throw yourself off and let everybody see that you're God, the pride, I mean, he's got the same arsenal. He still works on us that way. The next is decision. In verse six, it says, she took it and ate it. Now, I want you to notice carefully and thoroughly that the devil did not make her do it. The demons in hell pushing from behind or pulling you from before cannot make you sin. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to offend some of you, but it's time for you to realize that you are responsible for your decisions. Quit being a victim. There are so many people that all they live their whole life as a victim. Oh, poor me. Listen, you can decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to stand up from this. I'm going to quit feeling sorry for myself. You can quit blaming others. Did you, did you notice the blame game when, Jesus, when God got to the garden? Adam, first thing, he did the manly thing, blamed his wife. And then he said, well, Eve, tell me about, oh, it was the devil's part. It was the devil's fault. I mean, we want to blame everybody else, but the scripture says she took it and ate of it. Adam took it and ate of it. The decisions you made, I, I, I'm not discounting how horrible your past may have been, but I can promise you how wonderful your future can be if you decide to follow Jesus and decide to quit being blaming everybody else. Well, after her decision, you know what? She didn't want to do that by herself, so she distributed it. She wanted company. Why, why do you think she gave to Adam? Because misery loves company. Sinners want other people to sin with them. If I'm not the only one sinning, then I'm justified in what I do. If I can get you to sin, if I can get you to follow me, then I feel a little bit better about myself. Hollywood is trying to destroy the three pillars of the family, marriage, monogamy, and morality. And they're trying to destroy the nation. You know, you got to realize Satan has his evangelist, just like God has his evangelist. Only evangelism means to share the good news. Satan is trying to take you away from God. He's got his voices. He's got his speakers, whatever you want to call them. He's even got his preachers that will take you away from God. Satan, he wants to perpetrate sin and guilt, distribute it. Well, their sin, their sin then led to disgrace. It says the, both of them were, oh, their eyes were open. They were, knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. For the first time in human history, 
A man's wife went shopping for clothes. I can just hear it now. Adam, cried Eve, to cover my carcass, I've ordered a fig leaf from Neiman Marcus. Okay, you needed to laugh. I'm going to let you laugh a little bit. But in reality, for the first time in Adam and Eve's life, fellowship with God had been replaced by fear. Their faith had turned to fright. The Garden of Eden had been transformed into a place of misery. Sin may be fun for a while and you may think you're going to get by with it but it leads to disgrace. Can you imagine being in a perfect place and now you're hiding. There are a lot of people hiding today. They're hiding from God because of their sin. I've got some good news for you. That regardless of what you've done, God's never stopped loving you. He really hasn't. Just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. It went from disgrace to death. See, God made a promise to Adam back in chapter 2, verse 16 to 17. He said, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. <laughs> well, at first glance, it looks like God missed it here. But they did die. The word death means separation. Now, when a person stops breathing and their heart stops beating, the body is separated from the spirit, the soul. We have a body, soul, and spirit. Hebrews tells us. Our soul and spirit are inseparable. But we can be separated from the body. Our spirit, we have a spirit because we have the capacity to know God. God is spirit and in him we worship him in spirit and truth. We're made in his image. So we are different from the animals. Animals don't have a spirit. They've got a mind and emotions and a will. They've got a soul, but they don't have a spirit. And when Adam and Eve died or sinned, they died immediately in their spirit. Their spirit was separated from God, and they knew it, and they hid themselves. Now, if you read, as you, as you read through Genesis, you're going to see that they died progressively in their soul too because man, after he sinned, he's gone downhill ever since. And eventually they died in their body because God cast them out of the garden. When a person does not know the Lord, they, they can be religious and be dead spiritually. They can go to church and be dead spiritually. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you're dead, spiritually speaking. So that when, when a person turns from their sin and comes to God and, and says, admits, I am, I am lost, I'm, I'm without you, 
I'm separated from you. I'm dead, spiritually speaking. You ask God to forgive you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he gives you what? Starts with an L. Life. He gives you life. The light comes on. He illuminates you. He gives you life. He he saves you to the uttermost. He puts his spirit in you, which attaches to everything else. And your mind and your emotions and your will, they begin to change. And one of these days, we'll get a new body to go with heaven, get rid of this one that we've ruined one other thing I want you to notice that came with death dismissal cast him out of the garden why because the tree of life was there and if he hadn't cast him out they would live forever in this state of being separated from God so he cast him out Isn't that something? It begins by perfect garden and the next thing you know, you're cast out. He drove men out of the garden. Again, I love the way children illustrate things. Adam and Eve story, the Garden of Eden was told, sin was told in in a children's Sunday school class and then the teacher said, why don't you draw a picture illustrating what we've talked about today? And little Freddie, he was excited. He drew a picture of a car with three people in it. There was a driver in front and a man and woman in the back seat. She thought, how in the world does this mean Adam and Eve? And he said, she said, Freddie, explain this picture to me. She says, teacher, it's real easy. That's God driving Adam and Eve out of the garden. <laughs> Literal-minded, aren't they? <laughs> Sin led to shame. Shame led to separation. Separation led to sorrow. Sorrow led to suffering. Adam and Eve made the down payment of sin and we've been paying the installments ever since. We live in a sinful world. That's what, that's the problem. The problem in this world is sin. It's not education. It's not economics. It's not politics. The problem in the world is sin. Separated from God. But thank God that's not all of Genesis because now we see where salvation begins. In fact, you'll notice the prophecy and the promise of God's salvation in verse 15. Our great and gracious God immediately provides a solution. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people looked over this, but I want to first tell you something that I've told you before, and I'll probably tell you again. There are 109 specific, direct prophecies of Jesus that he fulfilled in his first coming in the New Testament. Did you hear me? 109. Stay with me. Do you know what the odds are of a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth accidentally fulfilling just eight of those? Not 109. 
I'm going to boggle your mind with eight of them. Peter Stoner, a scientific, a science professor, calculated the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of those prophecies by accident. What are the odds of all? Oh, it was just coincidence. He just happened to fulfill eight of them. He said the odds of that happening after he figured it up is one to 10 in the 17th power, which is one followed by 17 zeros, which is 100 quadrillion. You don't even know that number. Now, to illustrate that, he said, let me give you an illustration. You'll get this one. He used the state of Texas. It's always a good example. He said, you fill the state of Texas knee deep with silver dollars. You mark one of those silver dollars with a black check mark. And then you take 10,000 bulldozers and you give them 10 years to mix up all the silver dollars all over the state of Texas. And then you blindfold a man and you turn him loose anywhere in Texas he wants to be. He can walk anywhere he wants, but he's going to bend over and pick up one silver dollar. The odds of him picking up that silver dollar with the black check mark on it is one in a hundred quadrillion. That's if he fulfills eight of them. How many did I say he fulfilled? A hundred and nine. I don't even know what that number would be. Here is the first prophetic promise. Genesis 3.15. And it's a fantastic promise. There's three parts to it. First is a predicted conflict. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Enmity means war or conflict. From that time until now, everything that is occurring in human history, everything you see today is a result of the battle between the forces of God and the forces of evil. Paul described it in Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I've got good news for you. We already know who wins the war. It's kind of like knowing the end of a movie. We already know the end. In fact, 1 John 3, 8 says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So there's a conflict going on. I don't even have to tell you that. But how is this going to happen? It's the second part of this promise. There's a prophesied conception. Now, did you notice? God is going to defeat the devil by the seed of a woman. Now, that's a mysterious phrase. Because every other time that this word for seed is used, it is always described the seed of a man. You technically and medically speaking, a woman does not have a seed. She has an egg. Man has the seed. So why would God speak of the seed of a woman? Let me give you the answer. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, the seed could not be from Adam because in Adam all die. But yet, the Savior has to be the son of man. And not only did he have to be the son of man, he had to be sinless son of man. Because only a sinless man can die for sinful men. But in order to be sinless son of man, he had to be the son of God because only God is without sin. So that's exactly what God did. He came to the Virgin Mary and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born without a sinful nature. You and I are born with a sinful nature. We get it from our our bloodline, our fathers. We're born into Adam, but Jesus was not born into Adam. He was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was tempted in all points like we were and are, but he did not sin. And because of that, the atonement, the the payment for the penalty of sin could be paid because When he died, God put our sin on him, the sinless one. Now, what I want you to understand is don't you let any liberal professor or preacher of any kind tell you that Jesus was not born of a virgin. Because if he was not born of a virgin, then he was not the savior of the world. Because he was born with a sinful nature. And if he was born with a sinful nature, then he was not without sin. And the virgin birth actually tells us that he came. You need to understand your salvation's wrapped up and dependent upon the virgin birth of Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ had not been born of a virgin, he could not have been sinless. If he was not sinless, he could not have been the Savior. And if he's not the Savior, then we're still in our sin and we're wasting our time. There's no hope for the world. And last of all, part of this promise, we see a promised conquest conqueror. He said to Satan, he's going to bruise your head. You're going to bruise his heel. Now, if you're going to kill a snake, where do you kill a snake? On the head. Snakes are on the ground. And they usually bite you on the heel or the leg or the foot. The only way they'd ever bite you in the face is if you're stupid enough to get down there close enough to them. (laughs) And you deserve to be bitten there if you get that close. And you deserve to die if you're that stupid. (laughs) Snake's going to bite you on the leg. Unless he's in a tree. I understand. I know. But. What was Jesus talking about? When Jesus died on the cross, what was God talking about? When Jesus died on the cross, the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He died for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. But there's another bruising coming. We already know that he's conquered sin and death. But when he comes again, Satan's going to be bruised one day when he's cast into the lake of fire. 
So, even though man sins in chapter three, God already has planned. And you're going to see Jesus through the Old Testament. You're going to see things that represent what Jesus did and who Jesus was. And you're going to see types of Jesus in the Old Testament. What I mean, it's going to be pictures of him. But here you have a direct promise, the seed of the woman. You will bruise his heel, he will bruise your head. What I want you to see today is that you can be the finest church member and church goer and religious person that you ever can imagine. But if you don't know Jesus, you're still lost. You're still dead in your spirit. You don't have to be a Baptist to be saved. Not even all Baptists are saved. You you have to know Jesus to be saved. Don't take my word for it. God started it at the beginning. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in him, what are you waiting for? Why are you going to stay dead? Would you bow your heads with me? If you want to receive Christ, you first have to admit, I am dead in my sin. I'm lost in my sin. And ask God to forgive you. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose again the third day. I believe that he's the savior of the world. He paid the price for my sin. And Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my life right now to save me. Give me life. Change my life. Help me to live in you and to keep my focus on you. Lord, I pray for the Christians in this room who somehow have forgotten that they have a victorious life. I pray you'd help them to see just who they are in you and how much you love them and how you can still use them. Lord, I pray you'd raise up people who have the joy of you in their life. So Lord... I pray for those who need a church. If they're looking for a place, perfect people, then I know they're not going to come here. But if you want them to be part of South Christ, you bring them. Lord, I pray for those that need to be baptized. They need to shout it from the mountaintops. I've given my life to Jesus. I want people to know it. I pray that people will be drawn to you now. you're watching online would you hit that connect button and let somebody pray with you and help you right now that we really want to help you if you're here in this room you can indicate that decision you're making on that communication card i want to be saved i want to join south or whatever it is and you drop it in the box as you leave we will call you on the telephone or some of us will be standing up here some pastors up here at the front to, to pray with you after the service is dismissed Lord, I I pray that people will be drawn to you. And thank you that even before we were ever thought of, you already had a plan to save us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for not writing us off, casting us aside, but for saving us. Lord, I pray that people would come to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.